scripture lessons this morning begin with Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then we will read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Fun fact that you may not know about the Porterfield family, we love going to the movies. We also like watching movies at home, especially me because I have this tendency to whisper questions to the people around me when I don't know what's going on, much to my son's annoyance. <laughs> They're pointing at each other, like, it's him, it's him. No, trust me, I've annoyed, I've annoyed them enough for their entire lifetime doing this. But in my defense, we have seen just about every superhero and Star Wars movie for the last 15 years. And you know what? That is a lot of heroes and villains and plot twists and backstories to keep in line. Sometimes I get the ant mixed up with the wasp and the last Jedi with the first Jedi. It's hard to keep it all straight. But thankfully, Eric always takes mercy upon me and answers my questions very kindly, which I'm sure doesn't surprise any of you. Now, personally, my favorite part of the whole movie-going experience is the opening scene. The lights finally dim down, the previews are finally over, and the silver screen lights up, and the story begins. When a movie is really well done, the story really well told, then it captures you from the very beginning. In the beginning. It's no coincidence that the Gospel of John starts with the exact same words as the book of Genesis. Now, each Gospel has its way of starting the story of Jesus. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Abraham. And then Luke starts with foretelling the birth of John the Baptist. Mark 
cuts right to the chase, and we have an adult John the Baptist baptizing people in the wilderness. But John takes us all the way back to the beginning, to the genesis of creation, making it crystal clear that God the Son did not simply appear in Bethlehem, but existed from the very beginning. To stay with our movie theater theme, John starts with a wide-angle lens at the very beginning of his gospel, as opposed to the narrow view, the up-close view of the other gospels. Before anything else happens, before anything else is said, John wants us to consider the bigger picture, the cosmic viewpoint of God. He wants us to understand that the word made flesh, whose earthly birth we've just celebrated, is the same word that was God and was with God in the very beginning. With these opening lines, John reveals that the story of salvation did not start in Bethlehem. It did not start with the incarnation of the word. But the story of salvation started back at the beginning, the beginning of everything. In superhero movie terms, John's prologue here gives us Jesus' backstory. And it's a backstory that goes all the way back. As we hear in Genesis, in the beginning, God speaks creation into being, using words to create the world. Let there be light, God speaks, and there is light. As we hear in John, in the beginning was the Word. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. Did you hear that fascinating interplay of words and images between Genesis and John? God speaks creation into being through the word. And through the word, all life, all things come into being. And in him is true, abundant, and eternal life. The light of all people. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. In movie and literary terms, we call this foreshadowing. Here at the very beginning, with just these few verses, John is already foreshadowing the end of the story, the end where darkness does not get the last word. It will not be able to overcome the light. And so clearly linking Genesis to Jesus, John proclaims that just as all of life was created through the word of God, life is also redeemed by the word of God. Everything that happens from this moment on in John's gospel is rooted in this beginning, in the reality that Jesus born in Bethlehem is the word. The word of God made flesh 
the word present at the very beginning of time, through whom all things were created. Jesus' teaching and his preaching and his healings and his miracles and his life and his death and his resurrection, all of it, every word, every moment, every action is grounded in this giant, cosmic, expansive, widest angle lens we could ever imagine perspective. In the beginning was the word. That word made flesh in Jesus, the light of all people, whom the darkness did not, cannot, and will never overcome. Amen. And now John 1, verses 6 through 18. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Let us pray. O oh Lord, for your love, for the truth that you so love the world, that you gave Jesus, your only son, the word became flesh. We are in awe, and so on this 12th day of Christmas, we continue to celebrate the mystery of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are humbled by the truth that you, choose, you chose to come among us humbly, and you came into the world and you lived among us. May we embrace the grace that is ours in Christ and move out into the world as Jesus did to share it. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. So as Alicia so beautifully said moments ago, this incarnation, it's what we celebrate at Christmas, the word was with God in the beginning, was God. All things came into being through him, the light. He is the light of the world, and the darkness cannot, will not 
overcome it. It is this amazing truth that we embrace and believe and celebrate with every Christmas carol we sing, every Christmas gift we give, every Christmas treat we bake and enjoy. All of it points us to the glorious truth that God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus and lived among us. The first part of verse 14, the word became flesh. That is this incredible, incomprehensible good news of our faith that we can never in this life fully comprehend. And so it's better for us to sing about it. And we sing all of those carols that point to the truth that the word became flesh. But in the rest of our time together, let's focus on the second half of that sentence. The word became flesh and lived among us. The King James, King James Version of the scriptures say the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message translation says the word took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The amazing truth about that phrase, lived among us, dwelt among us, moved into the neighborhood, is that when the word became flesh, when God cho chose to come among us, like us, yet without sin, fully human and fully God, when God chose to locate among us, the word came into the ordinary aspects of life, the ordinary, everyday, humble places of that day and of our day. For certainly, if we think of the Jewish understanding, the Israelite understanding that the presence of God was centrally located in the world, in the temple, not confined to the temple, but certainly the Old Testament has this belief, this understanding, and certainly in the Old Testament, God did focus in on the temple, taking that understanding of God's presence in the world, we would think, that when God chose to take on human flesh, that the word would come into the temple. And that perhaps in the temple, Jesus would uh, be transfigured like we see him on the mountain. As Peter, James, and John witnessed that transfiguration, as, as his clothes, clothes become dazzling white and there's this glow about him. We would think that Jesus, the word become flesh, would come into the temple and reveal his glory in that way. And it would make sense based on the Israelite understanding of God's presence in the temple for Jesus to sit on a throne in the temple and for the people to come to the temple and bow before him and sing praises to him and give offerings to him in that way. It makes perfect sense in light of how God's presence functions so often in the Old Testament. But that is not what Jesus chooses to do. When he takes on flesh and when he lives among us, it is not in the temple. He's there occasionally in his ministry. But most of the time, Jesus is, is out amongst the ordinary places and the ordinary people. He grows up in a, a tiny village called Nazareth. He he spends his time in a carpenter's shop. He spends his time with, with children and tax collectors and prostitutes, and he visits normal families, people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and he walks among the people. The, the word became flesh, moves into the neighborhood to bless and to love and to serve. 
And when he finally does spend some extended time in Jerusalem, it's not to be in the temple so that people would come and bow before him. He spends that time in Jerusalem in a way that leads him to his death on the cross. And so in the Christmas season, we not only celebrate that the word became flesh, it's beyond our ability to understand. It's a mystery that we sing about. And we also celebrate that the word became flesh and came not to a palace or a temple, but to ordinary neighborhoods like ours and to ordinary people like us. Which then suggests that if the word chooses to become flesh and live among the ordinary people of 2,000 years ago in the ordinary places, then the word become flesh now ascended to heaven, but with us still through the presence of the Holy Spirit, it makes sense that God would call us to move into the neighborhood, to use the message translation, to live in such a way that we bring the light of Christ into the world in whatever neighborhoods of which we are part. And by the word neighborhood, it means where we live, yes, but it also means where we work and go to school, where we go about our daily lives. It means our church. It means the neighborhoods around the church. To follow the word became flesh who moved into the neighborhood is to move into the neighborhoods around us ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit to share the love of Christ, to shine the light of Christ, and to work for God's kingdom wherever we are. So we do so in Huntington. We do so in other places. We, we shine the light in Nicaragua. Jack and Lynn built four or five houses in, helped to build four or five houses in December on their, their latest trip. They, they moved into some neighborhoods in Nicaragua. The youth will be going to Alaska this summer. You will move on this mission trip just for a moment uh, into Alaska, into the neighborhoods there to share the light of Christ. By the way, we had a conversation. Uh, ben was giving us a lecture this morning about why the, the mosquitoes are so big and so aggressive in Alaska. Just get ready for that, okay? We move into the neighborhoods around us. We can't join the firefighters in Australia, but we can be a part of that hurting neighborhood now, knowing that Jesus is there and praying for our neighbors on the other side of the world and praying for rain and praying for peace in the Middle East. Yes, it's amazing, it's worthy of our singing that the word became flesh, but let's not forget how and where he did it, moved into the neighborhood, 
And so we are called to move into the neighborhoods around us. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of Mike Fotis. And Mike gave us a wonderful, in his later years, a wonderful example of moving into the neighborhoods around us. Like many of us, he participated in Blessings in a Backpack. And so immediately following the service, we'll go into the fellowship hall. We'll pack those backpacks for students at Central City Elementary School uh, who need some help with food over the weekends. And so they'll get those backpacks on Friday and they'll have some food to help them through next weekend. And so Mike participated in that. And then as he participated in that ministry, he realized there's some students at Central City who need some help in math. He realized, hey, I'm good at math. He volunteered uh, during the school day to tutor students in math. They would leave their classrooms and he would give them some help for a little while in math. And he got to know the students in a relational way, a connection and prayed for them. And then he realized that some of these students needed more extra help than what he could give them during the school day. They needed an extra hour after the school day had ended, but there wasn't funds to pay for teachers to stay that extra hour. And so Mike made a way for an educational fund to be endowed so that for generations, students who need that extra after school help will receive it. And so he gave us a model of following the model of Jesus, of taking Jesus literally when the scripture says he lived among us, he moved into the neighborhood. And so the question for us as a church, the question for us as individuals is, how is God sending us into the neighborhoods that we are a part of to shine the light of Jesus Christ? Again, we'll get a good start in just a moment in the fellowship hall, packing those backpacks. But isn't it exciting? Isn't it wonderful to think of the privilege we have of being a part of this movement that we see in John 1, the movement From heaven to earth, the word become flesh, the movement through the spirit into a world that so desperately needs the light and the love of Jesus. But there's also good news in the truth that this movement and this work that we do is not about us and it's not dependent upon us. God is at work in the world and we simply have the call, the the call and the obligation, but also the privilege to participate in what God is doing. And whatever it is that is accomplished through us comes when we open ourselves and are obedient to the Lord's work through us. Our obedience simply gets us into the place where God can do something more through us than he otherwise would choose to do. When we move into the neighborhood, when we move into the places with the light of Christ and invite people to follow Jesus with us, when we do his work, We are simply putting ourselves in position for the Spirit to do great things through us. And so the work that we do begins with the receiving of the grace of God. Verse 14 also says of Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The NIV translation, our pew Bible says, blessing after blessing. The message says, we've received gift after gift after gift. We have received from the fullness of Jesus, grace upon grace, blessing after blessing, gift after gift after gift. And so we celebrate the reception of these gifts at Christmas, 
And we also recognize that these gifts are given to us so that we can share them, so that we can share the grace of God moving out into the world, moving out into the neighborhood. It is because of the grace that we have received that we are then able to face all of the challenges that we, each of us, face in life and all of us face challenges. It is because of the grace, the fullness of grace that we could receive, that we have received, that, that we can then do the work that God calls us to do. Because we have been freed from the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sins, but also the spiritual consequences of our sins that, that keep us from being who God has made us to be. We've been set free to do his work. Not long ago, Azusa Pacific University, a Christian school in California, had its graduation ceremony. And before the ceremony, the president and uh, some of the alumni and families uh, gathered uh, for a reception. And at that reception, uh, three students were introduced and were invited to share some remarks. Those three students had made the commitment to spend uh, the next several years of their lives uh, doing the work of God amongst those who were suffering at various places around the world. And the president wanted to share, have them share their story with uh, this gathering of, of friends of the university. And so each of them shared their story of where they were going and of how God worked in their lives to, to bring them to this moment. And then the president said to the three graduates and to the gathered crowd, there is someone who has heard of what you're about to do. There is someone who believes in what you're about to do. There is someone who is now going to support you in what you're about to do. And this person will remain anonymous. But on behalf of this person, I can share this. And he turned to the first student. And he said, your student debt of $105,000 is forgiven. And he turned to the second student, he said, your student debt of $90,000 is forgiven. And he turned to the third student and said, your student debt of $130,000 is forgiven. And the three students were trembling. And there was not a dry eye in the place. And there were some other parents of graduates in the room who wanted to raise their hands and say, I have a graduate too. And there was freedom for these students to move on and focus on what God had called them to do. And so you and I are burdened by a huge weight, a huge debt, something that holds us back. Regret and shame and brokenness, sin, our failure to be the people that we were made to be, our failure to fulfill the callings that God has placed upon us, the challenges, the struggles that we have, all of these things are a huge burden upon us. Good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Word who was with God from the beginning, who was God, who is God, became flesh and lived among us 
and died for us and was raised from the dead for us and lives among us through the Holy Spirit even now. So that when we call on his name, when we place our faith in him, when we follow him in baptism, as Will has done so beautifully this morning, we find that our sins are forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored. Our relationships with each other are restored. And we also find that as hard as it is, we can face our challenges. And as much courage and commitment and work as it requires, we too can be like the word. And we can go into the neighborhoods reflecting the life of Christ, working for the kingdom of God, not in our own strength, but through the power of the one who walked among us and who lives within us now through the Holy Spirit. May it be so in 2020 for you, for me, for us, Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, we thank you for Will and for his faith in you and his baptism today. For in his faith and baptism, you show us that you are at work in the world, drawing people to yourself. We thank you for the privilege that we will have in a moment to do something simple as pack backpacks with food and to share them with children who do not have the food that they need. We pray that you would take this action, small as it is, and use it for your glory. And we thank you that through Jesus Christ, you took on flesh and became like us, which means you understand everything about us. You understand all of our struggles, Whatever any of us are going through right now, you've been there, you understand it, you can walk with us with deeper knowledge than we can ever imagine, and we are grateful. And we're grateful that you chose in your incarnation not to locate yourself in the temple and stay there, but that you moved out among us. We pray that you would be with each of us and with our church in 2020 as we try to follow your example and by the Spirit, as we try to help people meet Jesus and to love one another unconditionally and to help each other become more like Jesus and to worship you with all of our hearts and to love our hurting world. We thank you for the movement of the sun from heaven to earth and for the privilege and the call to follow his movement in the Spirit to the world shining his light. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn of commitment is hymn 290, as with gladness men of old.
And as we sing this song, any who have sensed and are responding to the call of Jesus to faith like Will has done, we invite you to come forward and to profess your faith. I'll speak with you and then speak to the congregation on your behalf to share your decision or as a follower of Christ already to unite with our church and to help us be the people God is calling us to be. Or you may simply need to come forward and to pray whatever the call, whatever the commitment, please don't back away from it. Make that response, that commitment now as we sing. Would you stand, please? Two weeks from today, two Sundays from today, we begin a different schedule on the 19th, worship at 8.15 in the chapel and at 11, uh, 10.45 uh, in the fellowship hall. And what a joy to know that we've done this before and we know how to do it and there can be special blessings through this different schedule, but also special blessings as we continue to seek to be good stewards of this wonderful sanctuary that God has given us. Thanks to all who've been working on our painting project. Uh, I invite you to look at the columns this week for more details and other details about the coming year. Uh, it's going to be an exciting season for us at Fifth Avenue Baptist. Now, that does mean that next Sunday, not right now, but next Sunday, our last Sunday for a while in the sanctuary, we'll need your help. 
uh, will need you to take your hymnals and the Bibles and gather them out. We have to clean out the sanctuary so that the painters can, can do their work. So uh, you'll have specific instructions next week on what to do. And if you're able and would like to join a wonderful, fun work party of cleaning out all the things we need to do, we invite you to stay after church a little bit later, a little bit uh, next Sunday, so that we can get this sanctuary ready for those painters. And now I'll say our benediction and invite you to go to the fellowship hall if you are able to join us in blessing the backpacks. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we're grateful for a wonderful day, a wonderful Sunday to begin the new year. And now we pray that you would go with us as we move out into the neighborhoods in which you have placed us. The word became flesh and lived among us and moved into the neighborhood full of grace and truth. And we are thankful. Amen. Amen.